turn in your Bibles, please, to 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 12. 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 12, as we continue in this new series through Paul's very last letter that became scripture to this young, young man that he was closest to in the whole world named Timothy. And this is the very word of God. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light in the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, and which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Have you ever noticed that um, more often than not, we, we kind of have a way or we find a way uh, of getting what we want? And uh, in a modern, relatively affluent age that, that we live in, uh, are there many things within reason... Are there any, many things within reason that you want that, that you can't have? And the things that you can't have right now, you could get to work and, and really focus to be able to arrange a way uh, to, to get them in the, the future. And, and it's amazing what, what we Americans think we should have. And I read a, a great article, and I won't read it to you, but a great article about the, the, some of the new words in advertising and uh, advertising speaks not just in terms of what we need, not even in terms of what we want, but now speaks in terms of what we deserve. You could say that, that life right now is a very menu-driven life. Um, the, the, the world of the Internet uh, would like to convince us that real life is like virtual life, but it's not. We'd like to convince us that, that real life is, is like, like the Internet. Um, you know that it's just a series of menus before us so that we can customize our own lives, so we can click and choose, and, and that's the meaning of, of, of real American freedom. And if we're not careful... This very way of thinking makes life about us and not about other people. It cuts us off from people. And it, and it, and it cuts us off from this great purpose of living out the gospel of God's grace and love, this other-centered gospel among people. But I'm going to tell you what's not on our menu in front of us. It's what Paul wants to help us understand this morning. I'll tell you what's not on our menu. 
It's called suffering. And it's nothing that we would voluntarily choose, maybe for any reason. But here's the deal. Suffering is a part of life in the gospel. Paul says to us this morning, come. Come and suffer for the gospel. Come and suffer with me. And you know, I think that you and I, and I mean me too, I think we need help understanding this concept of choosing suffering. So I'd like to look at it in terms of of three ideas from the text. And the first is the call to suffer for the gospel. The second is the strength to face suffering through the gospel. And the fourth is believing the gospel for our future as well as for right now. The call to suffer for the gospel, the strength to suffer through that God gives us through the gospel, and the importance of our future. So Paul says says to us, it's a call, come and suffer for the gospel. So in a culture that shuns suffering uh, and gets away with it, largely, can I ask, is there anything worth suffering for voluntarily? Is there anything? Here's Paul's answer, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the sufferings for the gospel. You know, as Paul writes this, he's suffering. As Paul writes this, he is facing death, and um, and he he's about to... Lose his head, I mean literally beheaded. Not terribly long after this book was written, this last scriptural letter that he writes, he's in a prison in Rome. It's called the the Marmontine Prison. I want to read to you from uh, an article in an archaeological uh, magazine that came out last year, August 4, 2016, about this prison entitled Archaeologists Reveal Secrets of Roman Prison that Held Both Christian Saints and Jewish Rebels. Quote, the dungeon of the Marantine prison, older than Rome itself, was where Romans locked up their worst enemies. From the great Jewish revolt leader to Peter and Paul, one of the world's oldest and most terrifying prisons reserved for ancient Rome's fiercest enemies listen to this, has reopened to the public after years of excavation. The reason the article came out is they just dug this thing up in the last decade, and as of last year, you can go see it. Don't you love how archaeology supports you know, the, the Bible? And what they found when they dug it up is it was a horrible place to be. And when Paul says... Join me in suffering for the gospel. You need to understand, he is suffering. This is not his first imprisonment, which was much easier. This is the second imprisonment uh, where Christians are being blamed for all kinds of things and the persecution is just ramped up right at this moment. So the conditions are awful for Paul. As, As one scholar adds, Paul had spent the winter in this prison. He's cold. He may have been suffering from more than one kind of physical malady. 
at this point in time and the only person that had not deserted him. And we read in other places how everybody's deserted him. The only person was Luke, the physician. And Paul tells Timothy, don't be ashamed of my imprisonment. Don't be ashamed of the gospel like, like somehow the gospel is not powerful enough to keep me out of prison or, or to keep bad things from happening to people. And don't hide the testimony about our Lord. He says, don't be ashamed to testify in your life under pressure about the gospel And listen to this. And don't be ashamed of me, here it is, the Lord's prisoner. That's really interesting, isn't it? I thought he was the Roman's prisoner. No, what Paul's saying is, I'm the Lord's prisoner, that this suffering, as bad as it is, is simply a, a function and a part of the providence of a gracious God for me to be here. He accepts this is God's will for him to suffer. And he is willing to suffer for the gospel you know we look at the faith and the courage of these early christians i thought about telling you a story about polycarp in his 80s and and how he was martyred and justin martyr called because he was martyred and 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 i want to read some other things to you this morning but but you think about the the persecution and just the faith and and this suffering for the gospel in the first century and and how Christianity got out to all these places that finally reached us. It is so inspiring. Verse 9 says, see again why they can do it. Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. You know, all across the world this morning in Iran and Iraq, I see my Egyptian friends who are members of our church back here. Yes, in Egypt. In Pakistan, in North Korea, uh, in China, and many other places, there are brothers and sisters right now under incredible pressure and persecution. They are suffering for no other reason than they are Christians, and they're actually Christians out loud. Although they're not as loud as they would like to be because of the persecution. Some are imprisoned. Some have been killed, and I mean when I say some, I mean hundreds of thousands have been killed. And whole areas are being, from one per- another perspective, cleansed of Christianity altogether by the sword. And there are many who are yet to die, and yet they will not be ashamed of the gospel. Don't you just marvel at these people? Remember we learned in our missions conference that in the 20th century and the 21st century there have been more martyrs than all the centuries combined. That means now there's more. I'm not talking about Madison, Mississippi. I'm talking about these places and it's just inspiring. They're all under pressure. They're all told to keep their mouth shut about Jesus Christ, to keep their mouth shut about the cross, the atonement, the love, the forgiveness, this gift. You know, Christianity is not trying to force anybody to do anything. It is a gift. Keep your mouth shut if you know what's best for you. And they don't. We heard some amazing stories in our missions festival recently from a Muslim area of incredible persecution and courage and faith right in the face of it. Y'all that were here remember exactly what I'm... I can't even say on, on a recording where it is or who it was because it's that dangerous. It was so inspiring. 
Paul's life is inspiring. And Timothy's life, we learn in the book of Hebrews, he too is going to jail. He too will be in prison for his faith. So it kind of leads us to ask the question, as Paul says, come, come suffer with me to Timothy and, and through Timothy and through the years, uh, he is saying to us, would you be willing to suffer for the gospel? What is this saying to us in the greater Jackson area right here, right now? Well, maybe it's, maybe it's not saying anything as much as it's asking, are we all in for Jesus when the rubber hits the road? Maybe it's saying that you and I will either risk suffering at points in our life or we will hide. We will either submerge Jesus for reasons of personal comfort and a lifestyle that supports the Bible for a reason of, of personal comfort or we will bring it up and we might just suffer. Are we bold in our love and in our words of love, our, our gospel words, when the opportunity arises, do we sensitively, yes, humbly, yes, lovingly live out loud the gospel? Jesus said that we would stand in the face of fear if we were his followers and we are not to be ashamed. Jesus said, and boy, we don't like to drag this verse out, if you're ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you when I come. Suffering and the gospel have always gone together. You're not supposed to be able to get, get it off the menu. It's kind of what happens when you live by faith and you don't know the form that it will take because you're not worried about that. You just want to love the Lord your God and love other people in his name with fidelity to what's real and what's actually true for your own good and for the good of those around you for the good of the culture even you know uh, our lord suffered and we suffer remember jesus said a student is not greater than his teacher uh, one who serves is not greater than his master it's the shape of the christian life very often and and i think we need to understand our times i think we need to to understand that being a faithful humble Bible-believing Christian is not always welcome today, and less so every year. All you got to do is read the papers to see what's going on and how things are called hate speech and how just simple biblical language is being silenced all around us. And even in the South, y'all, more and more we are tempted to, to just cool it a little bit. I mean be humble. When I say cool it, I don't mean be, you know, not cool it. I mean, I don't mean being a jerk. The gospel is offensive enough without you being offensive on top of it, right? So, so this is happening. And, you know, it's, it's a perception that, that all we, you know, we Bible-believing Christians, all we want to do is just take away pers- people's personal freedom. That's all we're interested in is just being, you know, the Grinch that stole my personal choices, when all we really want to do is impart true, internal, personal freedom to learn how to love, which is the meaning of life, and to love God. You know, even if it's just a social slight, this is what we call soft persecution. 
even if it's just a social slight we endure because we are Christ followers, are we willing? Or will we hide? You know, sometimes we suffer uh, for how our convictions are played out simply in the marketplace of ideas. Uh, we, we, we kind of are out there when ideas are being discussed. And we feel very strongly, even if we are humble, about what the Scriptures teach. And, and the marketplace of ideas is theoretically a marketplace. That especially in a pluralistic America where all points of view are, are not to be punished by the state, certainly. And really aren't to be punished individually. But listened to, heard, and considered. But we stand up sometimes for what is biblically true in the face of moral relativism. The idea that there is no truth and, and suffering can be a part of just simply telling the truth. This news article came out two days ago. Max Yates, wherever you are, I want to thank you for sending it to me. Quote, Princeton Theological Seminary, not a bastion of evangelical Christianity. Princeton Theological Seminary announced earlier this month that it would award the Reverend Tim Keller its Kuiper Prize for Excellence in Reformed Theology and Public Witness. The seminary lauded Mr. Keller for his commitment to spreading Christianity in cities, his best-selling books on religion, and his work in helping to launch hundreds of churches. But Thanks to some of his conservative views, meaning biblical views, Mr. Keller's warm welcome didn't last long, as it was understood that his church and the PCA, our denomination, was in support of traditional marriage. Whoa! Whoa, what a crime! To support marriage as it's been talked about for the last upteen thousand years. So this was discovered, quote, back to the article, this made the theologically progressive students, alumni, and faculty furious over the decision to honor Mr. Keller. They wrote letters, signed petitions. By the way, this is the secular news. Not, this is not a religious news outlet writing this. They wrote letters, signed petitions, and planned demonstrations to pressure the seminary to rescind the award. On March 10th, Like two weeks ago, on March 10th, seminary president Craig Barnes responded that while, quote, we clearly stand in prophetic opposition to some of Mr. Keller's views, my hope is that we will receive Reverend Keller in the spirit of grace and academic freedom. There it is. Like everybody's supposed to be at the table. That must have been a Monday. I didn't look. By Wednesday, Mr. Barnes relented. No one will receive the award this year. Whoa. And I don't know how many of y'all know who Tim Keller, probably the most well-known PCA Presbyterian minister. Um, (laughs) He's not obnoxious about Jesus. In fact, one of the things he's known for is how careful and humble and circumspect and kind That he is in discussing Jesus. It's here, folks. If the nicest Christian in the PCA just got it in the teeth, it's here. If you want to live out loud for the gospel, it's here. 1 Peter 4.12 
talks, says this about the suffering. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange has happened to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. The Bible says, hey, this has never been strange and it's not strange now. Rejoice that you get to participate in the sufferings of our suffering Lord. As they say, if you, I'm talking about you, if you were accused of being a Christian in front of a bunch of people, would there be enough evidence to actually convict you of being one? And I'm not talking about the Bible verse on your Facebook wall. I'm talking about the way you live, love, talk, interface with people, interface with culture. If you were accused of being a Christian, just flat out accused of being a Bible-believing Christian, would there be enough real and sincere evidence to convict you of being one? Not, Not a jerk. But actually being loving as you live out the gospel and just simply not hiding Jesus and just not hiding truth. Paul says, don't be ashamed to testify about the gospel. Come, let us spread the gospel. Come, let us suffer together for the gospel. So the first thing is, I thought she was stepping up to say, I'll suffer. <laughs> You come on, and the child will lead us, you know. Um, (laughs) No problem, by the way. (laughs) Sorry I did that to you. So the first thing is, you know, this call to suffer for the gospel. The, The second thing is the strength to face suffering through the gospel. This is verse 8. Will you just listen to the the beauty of this these words about what the gospel is and what it means? Listen to this. Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to live to a holy calling, not because of our own works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been made manifest through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. See, this is the gospel. This is, this is how we face life, any part of life. This is how we face suffering. And the first thing we realize is this gospel is not our own power. You see verse 9? Not because of your own works, but because of His purpose and His grace. If you are a Christian, I want you to know something. It's not about you. It, it's, it, your life is primarily not about you. And and you didn't come to know God because of you. And you did not accomplish it. Not because of our works, he says. And the power to face suffering is also not your power. That's why you can just stay out of Barnes & Noble in the self-help section looking for some trick to deal with your fears. It's not within you to be able to do this according to God's purpose and grace, the way we are called into what is called a holy calling. And a few mental tricks just won't get us there. It's not because of us. Rather, verse 9, but because of His own purpose and grace, 
which He gave us, which became our purpose and our grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus, which He gave us in Christ Jesus, listen to this, before the ages began. Uh-oh, there's that predestination thing. Uh-oh, it just popped up again. This grace and purpose that He gave us before the ages began. His grace, this relationship is rooted in God, not us, before all worlds. God's loving, electing choice. That's how not you it is. Now, I've got to tell you, This is good, not bad. An American goes, don't tell me it's not me. I want you to know, aren't you glad it's not you? Because if it's about you, then you can mess it up too. No, this thing is in God's grace and purpose before the foundation of the world. That's how secure it is. That's how powerful it is. That's how real it is. That's how grace it is. We did nothing. God, in a purposing heart, As Brad Mercer always says, election is the love you've always wanted from before the foundation of the world. Then Paul goes on to say, you know, at the right time, all God's purposes before the foundation of the world, this grace came to us, this grace came down here, and we were saved through Jesus, verse 10, in which now has been manifested, means shown, through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And it all comes through Jesus. It is all about his death and his resurrection. This is the death of death. He abolished death. Meaning on the cross, Jesus defeated sin, which is the curse, which is what Paul calls the law of sin and death. The reason death is so bad is because we're under a curse. And you don't want to die without grace. You don't want to die under the curse. The reason death is defeated by Jesus is that death loses its sting. There's no stinger in it anymore. There's no victory in it over you. In fact, it's now actually preferable life with God there than life with God here. For me, Paul says, to live is Christ. And to die, what is it? Does anybody know? It's gain. This is how you face your problems. That God before the foundation of the world loved you. That Jesus has manifested himself. That we know him. We put our trust in what he has done for us rather than our own works. Not our own works, but what he has done for us and what he has done for us through Jesus. And it's through the resurrection as well as the cross. He brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. Jesus rose from the dead. I told my Bible study on Friday, we don't talk about the resurrection enough. Jesus rose from the dead and he reigns with all power to give life, real life, to all who ask. And this is an incredible thing. Life and immortality. This is the gospel. Jesus died and rose for me. We have union with God through Christ. There is life abundant. There is life secure. There is a life of love. If we would focus on that life right now. And there is life secure. And nothing can sting us. In the world to come. This is how we face our lives. 
This is how we face persecution. You know, you read the testimony of the early church and what they're looking at is this relationship with God and what it means. And they're looking at that resurrection. They're looking at that great hope that Caesar has no power. Which leads us not only to the suffer with me for the gospel, that the gospel becomes, it's through the gospel that we can face our suffering, but it, it's, it's this future that just really makes it safe, really gives us the confidence to, to show up for our own Christian lives with the risen Christ living in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. To live out that life in His church, to see the beauty of the gospel shown. When I say that, I don't just mean correcting people. I'm talking about sacrificial love for people that we wouldn't have loved people like that without Jesus. I'm talking about commitment to this world, not running away from it. And, and enough love that we don't have a gutless gospel, but there's faith to actually lay down in humility something that's true and in love speak the truth in love. Believing the gospel now for the future. And so he takes us back to what Christ did, but he takes us forward to all that Jesus will do. And you know what he's saying? He's saying to Timothy, he's saying, hey, don't, don't be ashamed of talking the testimony of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. Don't be ashamed. It's not as though Christ is failing because so many of us have been imprisoned and so many of us have died. No, you need to understand something, Timothy. We are winning. And Christ is winning right now. Christ is winning in the Middle East right now. Christ is winning in North Korea right now because we've already read the end of this book and we know where this is going. And there was a place called Korea that was the graveyard of missionaries that over half of Koreans today named the name of Jesus. Yeah, we don't know what's going on, but the risen Christ has all authority in heaven and earth. You can trust Him and you can entrust your life to Him. And what Paul's saying is you can entrust your whole life and salvation to Him uh, in the bigger picture in the future as well. Verse 12, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard against that day that which has been entrusted to me. Notice Paul didn't say, For I know about him, and I know who he is. Now Paul says this, I know him. For I know him whom I have believed, in whom I am trusting. You know, faith is only as good as its object. You ought to get weary of the idea that faith is just setting your mind on something you want and believing it until you get it. Faith is setting your mind on Jesus, setting uh, your eyes, fixing your eyes on Jesus, living in this gospel for Jesus to accomplish his purposes. And yes, you may pray specifically, please don't take this as chastisement. But faith is in Jesus, not a thing appearing in our lives. God will make things appear in our lives. He will add all these things to us as he sees fit in his goodness in this relationship in Christ. Faith is only as good at its object. And here the object of the faith is the risen Christ, Lord of heaven and earth, Lord of time and eternity. 
The 18th century scholar John Gill put it this way, and I just love this language, a Christ you don't personally know cannot be the object of your faith. They know the one they put their trust in. Listen to this. And they know what an able, willing, suitable, and complete Savior he is. And what is Paul entrusted with Jesus? He says it's all Jesus has entrusted to him. Did you read that? I am am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. What Paul is entrusting with God is what God has entrusted to him. That is the gospel of salvation and his own salvation. His whole life, everything is what he is entrusting to God to keep his life because of this gospel that he has believed, this gospel that he is representing until the day that I meet him in death or the day that Christ returns. You can suffer now for the gospel if you are really depending on the grace of the gospel now. You can suffer now for the gospel. And by that, I simply mean showing up for your Christian life and not hiding Jesus in all humility, sincerity, tact, kindliness, simply telling the truth in love. You you will suffer. And you can suffer now because of the gospel. And you can suffer now uh, because the future is sure. And God has entrusted that gospel to you and I right now here in Jackson, Mississippi, which we possess who have put our trust in Jesus. And that guarantees our future with him. So let me go back to the beginning as we close. Suffering is usually not on any menu that we would want in front of us if we could could decide what what, what our menus of choice would be for our lives. But will we walk with Christ in a way that suffering is not just something we would choose, but something, suffering is something that God will add to our lives in exactly the measure that we can handle it, simply by living out loud the gospel. I don't know how this hits your ears. I don't know how this hits your, your heart. I don't know how this hits your mind. You know, the reason I've been very careful to delineate suffering for you and I is because if I just talk about the people in North Korea, that kind of gets us off the hook, doesn't it? Because we don't live in North Korea. And we just pray for those sweet people. No, God has inhabited us by his Holy Spirit here. God wants a movement of the gospel through his church. And his church is here. This is real now. Here. I don't know what it looks like for you. The question Paul is asking is simply, are you willing to walk with God in dependence upon him and find out? Come and suffer for the gospel through the power of the gospel and in expectation of our sure future hope. Let's pray. Lord, this isn't what we typically want to talk about. But we just can't not talk about it because it's here. Jesus is what you said is going to happen. In one way or another, if we follow you, thank you for the words, not by works, not by your works. And 
If you've uh, been trying to trust in your own goodness to get to God and you see that it's not by your works but by what Christ has done and God's just opened your heart and you're so excited that it's a gift and not your works and you want to receive Christ, would you pray with me? Lord, I want to turn away from everything I have called Christianity. I want to turn away from everything I've called religion. I want to turn away from my self-sufficiency, my selfishness, and my sin. And I want to put my trust, Jesus, in what you have done, abolishing death and bringing life and immortality to life for me. Thank you that even now, as I've trusted you rather than myself, Jesus, you have come into my life. Even now, you have completely forgiven me. I am completely accepted, adopted, and now, Lord, you will build into my life and you will, get, you, will, you will show me what this holy purpose, this holy calling looks like for me in the midst of your church. Oh, Lord, help me as a brand new believer. Help me not to get conditioned into non-commitment. Oh, Lord, help me to have a deaf ear to anything that would suggest anything other than walking with you according to what you have for me. And Lord, I pray that as you lead me into suffering, help me to depend on you and love those who make me suffer and change people through that persecution and the response. Lord, there are many of us who've walked with you, and I don't know how we did it, but we just kind of got cleansed our menu of suffering. We just kind of took control of what is and what is going to be and what's not going to happen in our lives. Lord, would you forgive us? We repent. We repent of our consumer-oriented Christianity. We repent of our me-oriented Christianity. Lord, I repent. And Lord, I know that means to turn away from, but also to turn to. And Lord, we would turn to your purpose and your grace in our holy calling. Would you raise yet again a simplicity of the wonder, beauty, and 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 power of the gospel to change us? Would you, Lord, fix our eyes more and more on Jesus? Because he's not only the author of our faith, but you, Jesus, are the finisher of our faith. Lord, would you use people like us, broken, faltering people like us? Would you grant us faith, and would you use us in the lives of our neighbors and co-workers fellow students, and all these peoples at the intersections of life and culture. And Lord, would you give us great joy, even in our suffering, and great glory to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.